We come this evening to the difficult passage I mentioned last week in the book of James, chapter 5. And so I do invite you to walk with me through the passage, uh, thinking hard. Uh, Also, as I'll pray in a minute, we acknowledge our dependence on God and His Spirit to help us interpret and understand the Word. Uh, commenting also that a lot of interpretation has to do, a lot of our understanding has to do with the particular and original context of uh, what James was addressing and and who James was writing to. And so let's just bear that in mind um, as as well. So do pray with me. Let's just uh, bow together in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you again for just the scriptures that we can study so freely the availability of it in a language that we can understand, and Lord, many people that we can learn from. And even as we come this evening, praying that your gracious uh, hand of mercy would direct us by your Spirit, leading, teaching, guiding, convincing. And Lord, particularly as we come to a passage that we so easily can misunderstand and so easily lead us down pathways of disappointment. And and yet at the same time, we do want to stand on the truth of what you have revealed to us. And so, God, and direct my words. Help me to be sensitive, Lord, to each and every one who would be listening also. And may you lead us, Lord, into a greater confidence in that which you have written in this passage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read uh, again just the entire passage from verse 13, and uh, we'll pick up only a part of it, verse 14 to 16. We did last week look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now comes the part that we will consider tonight. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. They're taking us right to the end of the book, although next week I am hoping, God willing, to share one other study with you as well. So the matter of illness and uh, suffering illness and particularly serious illness is something that is always heavy on the heart of anyone who has been inflicted with something that is difficult and hard. And so I thought I'd introduce the um, study tonight with a well-known story, uh, testimony that you can find on YouTube as well, uh, something that uh, Carol and I watched together 
uh, a number of times during her uh, illness. So it is the story of well-known Christian author uh, Joni Erickson, Joni Tada Erickson. She did marry uh, later on in her life as well. Well, she lives her life, as many of you know, from a wheelchair. Uh, there was a time when she was physically strong and, and vibrant, and on a particular day she was out enjoying herself at the seaside, and suddenly everything changed. Physically, uh, her life altered forever. In an instant, she was paralyzed, diving into the water, uh, broke her neck unexpectedly, and uh, uh, ended up as a paraplegic. She was rescued from the drowning. Her sister was there and uh, medical practitioners got involved. They did the best they could uh, with what they knew and, and how, but to no avail. And she was uh, unable to be uh, medically treated from this particular condition. The, paral the paralysis that swept over her body simply and stubbornly remained. Well, Joni accepted that medically she could not be healed. She was a believer, is a believer. And the question then came to her regarding, well, what about divine healing? What, what about God healing her? What about God doing something miraculous? What about the advice and the passage, of course, we come to tonight, the advice that James offers clearly given to those who are suffering? Well, let me quote. She brought together a group of her friends and church leaders. They set up a private healing service. The week before that service, she publicly confessed her faith by telling the people, uh, watch for me standing on your doorstep soon. I'm going to be healed. On the scheduled day, the group read, they anointed her with oil, and they prayed in fervent faith. Today, she's still a quadriplegic. Now, Joni is not alone in her disappointment. As I indicated last week, this for me is one of the more difficult, if not one of the most difficult passages to understand in the Bible. I'm absolutely committed to the accuracy the inspiration and the authority of Scripture. So when we come to these passages that sometimes don't align with practical reality, we ought to be honest enough to face what is it then that we ought to understand? What is it that's going on in this instance? We as elders, and I've been involved in different churches before ministry at the Rosettenville Baptist Church where the elders prayed for a number of sick people. It was a fairly common uh, occurrence uh, where in a morning service, somebody who was sick would, be, would ask the elders to anoint them with oil and pray. And even when I was at Scottsville Baptist Church, I did the same. And, and here at Central Baptist Church, I've done the same. And in reality, honestly, you have been healed. Most have not been healed. Most, in fact, remained ill, and the illness resulted in their death. How then do we understand this passage? 
And one author, I don't know that I like this title, but I'm going to share it anyway. One author, and I like the uh, author, commentator, he normally has a very good and, and accurate interpretation and, and commentary. And for many years, I followed his particular view um, on this instance. And, and he called this passage the divine prescription for healing. And I want to read it again. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. Divine prescription? Well, it's important that we have our basics, fundamentals right, and I therefore want to remind you of a closing comment I made last time, uh, just in summary of verse 13. Just the general approach that we ought to have as believers. And it is a quote by an author by the name of Alec Motya. He says, our life should be so angled toward God that whatever strikes upon you, whether joy or sorrow, should be deflected upwards at once into his presence. I think that's very important. In other words, that in all seasons of life, at all times, regardless of circumstances, we should have our lives so angled toward God that we don't take our eyes off of him, that we don't move away from him, that we don't become distant from him. Any and every situation, any season of life, we ought to be acknowledging God and ought to continue expressing our dependence and adoration on God. If we don't do that, the tendency will be that in times of difficulty and trouble and disappointment, that we will become angry and, and even end up bitter. Whereas if we remain dependent and trusting in God, He will continue to enable us to navigate the pathways of life through the valleys, through the dark clouds, through the difficult seasons that we don't always understand and even want to experience in the course of our lives. Well, that was the general approach, if you like. As we move on in this passage and having our lives so angled toward God uh, in times of trouble and joy, James, James now focuses on and I want to, at this stage of the study, use the phrase, James focuses on a certain kind of illness. And, and, and it's very important that we, we consider that. We need to understand this is where we must give our attention and our effort. Our exegetical work ought to be done on, on, on understanding this particular word, this particular uh, intention that he had in that context that he was writing in. So the ESV translates, is anyone among you sick? The NIV, is any one of you sick? So it's much the same. And so I have uh, put this here as the complaint. And uh, so the complaint that any one of us may have, uh, the circumstance, this is the uh, the outline, remember last week, even with the previous verse, verse there was a particular uh, structure uh, in the passage. So now the complaint. Now, this word, this, this word, uh, 
that describes the particular circumstance or what I want to call here the certain kind of illness. What is it? What is it? That we, 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 we need to come to terms, we need to come to understand what is it that he is referring to. Well, the word describes someone who is without strength and needless to say that there are different views on how to translate this particular word. But for us uh, this evening, we do need to reach a conclusion. I certainly want to reach a conclusion. I have reached a conclusion because the meaning of the word has bearing on the remainder of the discussion. Is he here referring to any and every kind of illness and affliction, whether it be spiritual, physical, emotional, all of them? What is it? What is he referring to? Now, some, some commentators believe that. Uh, just taking it as a general category of, of illness, of affliction, and, and regardless of what it is, um, you can follow the divine prescription. Well, in my preparation for today, I did a little bit more digging, and I discovered that uh, there are other views. And I'm going to quote John MacArthur and uh, quote him extensively over here on this passage uh, in his commentary on the book of James. Uh, This is what he has to say regarding uh, this word. He says, This passage has been the battleground for interpreters over the centuries, as various groups have used it as a proof text for their particular beliefs. At first glance, it appears to be teaching that sick believers, now now this is what I have been, and I think most of us have been, uh, that sick believers can expect physical healing through the prayers of the elders. But such an interpretation is out of harmony with the context. That's what he says, and and check it out. I I certainly uh, would encourage you to do so. Check it out. The suffering James has in view is evil treatment. People who have been subjected to evil treatment. Now, don't don't forget that these people that he is addressing in the book of James are people who have been persecuted, who are under persecution for their faith. And he is saying and suggesting that we consider that this word not be translated, not be seen to be physical illness. He goes on. It is true that apart from the present verse, and he quotes the Greek verb, verb um, asthenia is translated sick, physically sick, 18 times in the New Testament. And he quotes the different verses. But he adds, it is also used 14 times to refer to emotional or spiritual weakness. And I can give you those Uh, passages, those texts, if it will be of help to you as well. Now he goes on. Significantly in all but three of Astenaeus' appearance in the epistles, it does not refer to physical sickness. Paul's use of Astenaeus in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10 is especially noteworthy since it there describes weakness produced by the sufferings of life. Now, doesn't this throw some light on the dilemma we've faced with this particular passage and the way that we have been 
applying and using this passage, suggesting here that in a similar context as its usage in the present verse, that being of 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10. He goes on, <coughs> excuse me, translating Astonia weak, here in keeping with its predominant usage in the epistles, allows us to view this verse in a different light. James moves beyond the suffering believers of the previous point to address specifically those who have become weak by that suffering. The weak are those who have been defeated in their spiritual battle, who have lost the ability to endure their suffering. They are the fallen spiritual warriors, the exhausted, the weary, the depressed, the defeated Christians. They have tried to draw on God's power through prayer, but have lost motivation, even falling into the hand of sinful attitudes. Having hit bottom, they are not able to pray effectively on their own. In that condition, the spiritually weak need the help of the spiritually strong. And there he quotes 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. So now we must decide. You, you, you need to decide. I need to decide. What actually is the complaint? Is any among you what? Sick? Physically sick? Cancer? Alzheimer's? Or is it a spiritual weakness that has been referred to over here? Well, let's move on, and I'm going to come back to some of this as we move on in the study. Let's now go on to the advice. On the surface, again, it appears quite simple. Uh, here's the divine prescription approach, uh, kind of a formula that one just uh, applies in uh, one, two, three, and, and, and everything is sorted. Well, ESV, let him call the elders of the church and let him pray over him. Uh, NIV, very similar, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, there's advice given here to the suffering. And uh, again, I want to quote extensively, uh, unashamedly, uh, the opinion. I'm standing on the shoulders here of, of someone else someone more competent than me. Uh, John MacArthur says, that help, James says, is to be found in the elders of the church. So, yeah, the advice is when you're in that particular state that he defined, that he described, uh, help can be found. Uh, call the elders. Why? Why call on the elders? Well, they are, supposedly, they are meant to be, they ought to be, spiritually strong. They're the spiritually mature. They are the spiritually victorious. So those who are weak and defeated in the church are to go to them to be able to draw on their strength. They are to call, and again, just the Greek word over there, proskaleo, to call alongside, they are to call the elders alongside of them to come and lift them up. It's the same thought that the Apostle Paul expressed to the Galatians in chapter 6 verse 1. Let me quote. 
Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Do you see one coming alongside of another, strong coming alongside of the weak, someone who is unable anymore, feeling uh, absolutely at their wit's end, calling of the elders to come, not hiding their condition from the elders, but sharing their condition with the elders so as to find the kind of help that they need. So he goes on, he says that the wounded, the exhausted, broken sheep are to go to their shepherds who will intercede for them and ask God for renewed spiritual strength on their behalf. See advice. Now there's a little bit more advice also given. Call the elders, but implied in the passage, we also see that the one who is in such a condition ought to do some soul searching. The sick person should search their hearts, uh, be involved in some kind of internal examination, uh, personal confession if necessary, implied by what is said in verse 15. If he has sinned, this particular person with this type of condition, he will be forgiven. So James is not suggesting that this is necessarily the result or the, the condition is the result of sin. It may be, it could be. Uh, we see elsewhere in Scripture that the man uh, born blind from birth, people ask Jesus, who should be blamed, the man or his parents? And, and in John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed. So we can't jump to conclusions about uh, somebody either having committed or not committing a sin. They simply need to search their hearts, and, 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 and if they have, they ought to confess, acknowledge and confess. Soul searching must be done. Well, let's have a look now at the advice to the elders. Opinion differs. There is a broad uh, opinion from different commentators and different pastors. Uh, Some commentators believe that the anointing of oil is symbolic. And I'm going to deal with that first. Again, I go to an an well-known, credible author, Kent Hughes. He's of the view that, yes, although oil was used sometimes for medicinal purposes in the ancient world, he contains or maintains that, uh, no, not, not in this instance. He says it's, it's not sacramental. It is and cannot be seen to be a, a vehicle of divine power. Rather than being medicinal or sacramental, he sees the anointing of oil to be symbolical. What I used to believe until I did the study and got involved in preparation for today. The anointing, smearing of some oil on the head in the scriptures, often associated with consecrating or setting somebody apart for some kind of special service or attention. And so he says in this context, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit who indwells and watches over the believer. And so the applying of the oil is a rich symbolic act setting the person apart to be ministered to in a special way by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's one view. Let me present another view. Again, I'm going to go to the view that I found in the commentary of John MacArthur's of James. So he says, there's a different view. The anointing of oil in the name of the Lord done by the elders is not a reference to some symbolic ceremony. He's taking a different angle. Now again, he quotes the Greek word 
alepho. The root form of the verb translated anointing is not used in the New Testament to refer to a ceremonial anointing. Alepho in the New Testament describes anointing one's head with oil. Again, he quotes verses, the woman's uh, the woman's anointing of Jesus' body, Mark chapter 16, verse 1, Mary's anointing of the Lord's feet in John chapter 11, and, and then also in verse uh, chapter 12, the anointing of the sick in Mark chapter 6. And so he goes on to say that perhaps the best way to translate the phrase would be rubbing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It literally reads, after having oiled him. Now we're referring to James, of course. It may well have been, John MacArthur goes on to say, that the elders literally rubbed oil on believers who had suffered physical injuries to their bodies from the persecution. Medical science was certainly in a primitive state and there were few trustworthy doctors. It would have been gracious and kind, a kind act on behalf of the elders to rub oil on the wounds of those who had been beaten uh, or into the sore muscles of those made to work long hours under harsh treatment. But metaphorically, the elders' anointing of weak, defeated believers with oil, conveys the responsibility for elders to stimulate, encourage, strengthen and refresh these people. What we do need to see, and I think all of us would agree, regardless of the particular view, that to do something in the name of the Lord must be consistent with who God is. To do something in the name of Christ is to do what He would have done in the situation. And so to pray in the name of Christ is to ask what He would want. To minister in the name of of Christ to serve others. Now that brings us then to the result. Having followed the advice, we can again look at the two different views. Uh, the advice in a time of serious illness, or on the other hand, weakness as a result of suffering, we now consider the outcome. I'll read the ESV. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now let's consider the two scenarios differently. So the first scenario where we translated the condition or, or we uh, would translate the condition to be a serious illness. So any kind of illness. And again, uh, cancer, Alzheimer's, um, some kind of uh, uh, unusual disease, some kind of uh, fatal uh, condition. So if you land with a sick person being seriously ill, then we're told that the sick person will get better and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. That's, that's, that's what it seems to be in terms of the outcome of what the verse says. Now that is where some difficulty is created for us. The verse would be easier. I've often looked back at this verse and, and wondered, is it not possible to translate this verse? The prayer offered in faith may make the sick person well. The Lord may raise him up. But it doesn't. It doesn't say that. Instead, it presents healing of that particular condition as a guaranteed result of the prayer offered in faith. It doesn't mention the possibility of failure. So that raises questions for us because we know, we know people who are sick, 
who've been prayed for by the elders, who've been anointed with oil, have not been healed, even after following this so-called divine prescription. Now, there's something more that we need to consider. So remember I said context is so important. So context in terms of the particular circumstantial context of the day, but also look, look at the broader context of the Bible. Because we see that the, the Apostle Paul had some of his prayers failing to bring healing. He writes to Timothy, saying that he had to leave Trophimus sick in Miletus. 2 Timothy 4. Why didn't he just apply the formula? Similarly, Epaphroditus was ill and almost died. Philippians 2 verse 27. And then we know that Paul prayed three times for his own healing. But he lived with the thorn until he died. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So the answer offered for success or failure, you can see takes um, commentators, interpreters down different pathways. Some people suggest the problem lies with the prayer of faith. That unless there is someone who has the gift, a particular gift of the Spirit, that, that uh, gift of faith, then the exercise of the gift will not take place and the person will not heal. Well, I think that's stretching the passage and I can't agree with that. Um, others uh, pray and, and, and say that, well, what you need to do is, is before proceeding with such a, uh, uh, an act of praying with someone, anointing them with oil, you need to spend time and the person needs to spend time in prayer discerning whether it is the will of God or not. And again, I think that kind of is a, is a, a cop-out of, of the passage. Well, taking the verse, now I want to look at a second, the second scenario, where uh, taking the verse to address the problem of spiritual weakness as a result of suffering. So again, I quote from MacArthur, The blessed result of the elders' comfort and ministry of intercession is that their prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Again, sick is misleading and not the best translation of this Greek word now used is kamo, which in its only other New Testament usage in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3 clearly does not refer to physical illness. James speaks here of spiritual restoration of weak and defeated believers. Then he goes on, nor does restore, Greek word sodzo, necessarily refer to physical healing. It is most commonly translated save in the New Testament. The idea here is that the elders' prayer, prayers will deliver the weak, defeated believers from their spiritual weakness and restore them to spiritual wholeness. So those prayers, of course, are but a channel for God's power. It is the Lord who will raise up the weak. The word raise up, egero, can also mean to awaken, to arouse, and this happened through the righteous prayer of godly men. God will restore his battered sheep. Now let me conclude. I have struggled with this passage. And if you're observant in the life of the church, I would imagine that you too have found this passage to be somewhat troubling. Many sick members, my wife included, called for the elders to anoint with oil and pray. And as I said at the beginning, most have not been healed. Now again, I need to say I believe in the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. And I don't believe that the Scripture 
ever presents or will ever present a false promise. So for me, after looking at this passage again this week, and, and, and I'm leaning, I'm, I, I confess, I think I, I'm, I'm leaning more to the MacArthur uh, interpretation. It really has some exegetical substance, and it just makes more sense. It's more consistent with practice and, and the reality of what I've seen now in my 30 years of ministry and, and even time before that as a member of a local church. But I do want to make some final comments, just to encourage you and to remind you of important truth. God can and does heal people. But he will do so according to his will. We are not able to prescribe to God. We're not able to use a particular prescription to bring about that which we want, which may not be the will of God. Which leads me to my second final comment. God does not heal every illness. And I've quoted some of the passages in the New Testament. Thirdly, we ought always to be praying for the sick. All the members of the church, ourselves and, and elders, we ought to be praying for the sick. And yes, the elders ought to be. And, and, and yes, something important I've learned from this passage. The elders ought to be more involved in praying for those who are spiritually weak. And members ought to be more open and honest and vulnerable in admitting, I'm going through a struggle. I feel battered. Will you come alongside of me? Will you come and pray with me? May God enable me to be restored. Then can be the prayer of that person. And so, folk, I leave these thoughts with you tonight. This is not an easy passage. And, and, it's a passage we must continue to study, uh, grapple with, but uh, we can't just ignore it. The temptation is just to, well, skip it. No, 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 don't skip it. We, we struggle with it. And so, Lord, as we conclude tonight, I do pray that you would give us much confidence and, um, and Lord, hope in the promises that you give. And I do want to pray, Lord, even if there be any among us tonight who are sick, and Lord, I know that sense of desperation, wanting to be healed, not wanting to uh, uh, face the reality of, of a terminus point and, and, and the imminence of death. We understand that, Lord. Any one of us would be in that same position. And so we pray, Lord, for grace. We pray for strength. We pray for wisdom. We pray for a touch from you. And to each of us, Lord, as we navigate the challenges in this broken world. And we ask this, Lord, in your name and for your glory in all situations. Amen. Just uh, some questions. And it really is just a review. If you are able to discuss in a group, uh, won't you review some of what I've shared tonight, these different opinions, uh, reinforcing them with your knowledge of the scripture as well. So God bless you, be with you, and looking forward to the time when we are together again.